Hi, my name is Lindsay Fleming, and today I'm joined by Dr. Heather Holloman. So Heather is an associate professor currently at Penn State, a speaker and an author. You've been writing many books um, designed around conversations. You wrote another book with your husband um, on evangelism. You also serve as faculty of commons, the professor and graduate student ministry of crew, and you're currently loving fall in state college. But today we are discussing your newest book. Um, today it's called the six Conversations. So Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is so fun. I'm so glad to be on your program. Yes. Thanks for joining. I feel like this is going to be a great conversation since we're discussing conversations. And I think that's a great maybe first question to ask you, why did you decide to write this book? Well, one of the greatest passions in my heart is how to help connect people in loving community. And as a college professor, I was really worried about the epidemic of loneliness on college campuses. And I was also reading the Cigna Health study that was looking at 20,000 US adults and nearly half the population was saying that they don't have meaningful connections with each other. And I just was so overcome by, um, you know, even in our state of Pennsylvania, Lindsay, the diseases mm -hmm. of despair research on like alcohol addiction and drugs and suicide, they're relating them to lack of social connection. So I was really just overwhelmed by that need. And then I was sharing with my students the Harvard Grant study, which is the longest research study ever conducted. It's trying to answer the question, what's the singleness determining factor of a happy life? And the answer is warm connections. So that really motivated me to research. And I got really excited about all I was learning about how to have better conversations. So it's interesting, you know, most people feel like they're in the days of social media, which we were kind of just discussing on from the surface level, it appears that people are connected, right? They have lots of followers or friends, or they're using multiple outlets of, of media, but yet the like you just shared, some of those recent studies show that people are very lonely and not connected. What, how do you see social media maybe contributing to loneliness? Or is that, some, is that something that you do see? Well, a lot of social media is sharing opinions and it's, it's really the realm of argument when you get on Twitter in particular. Mm -hmm. And so the problem is you're sharing a lot of information and I see that it's kind of creating the illusion of intimacy. And what you're really hoping for is like a loving and warm connection that's really hard to do like in texting or the way we share memes and things. And so my students will often say to me, for example, they'll come to my office and one of my students a few years ago said, okay, I'm going on a date, you know, with this girl, I've only texted her. Like, what's your best advice on how to have conversations? I've actually never spoken to her in, in, you know, face to face. So he was taking notes on like, how do I ask, you know, the first question, what should the next question be? So really you're seeing a deficiency in the area of, of engaging people well in conversation. So it really becomes a professional development skill for college students so they know how to build rapport with people. So I teach them the mindsets of, you know, be curious about other people, believe the best about them instead of like judgment and suspicion mm -hmm. and, you know, learn how to express concern and share your life. And a lot of that's really hard to do in the context of social media. 
I agree. It's really easy. And like you said, those platforms, I love that you said they're the realm of argument. And that's, I mean, you do see a lot of that, especially I think in today, like opinions and things seem to be so polarizing. So it does seem to be like a place where people can put that out there. But like you said, lack the true warm connection that we all desire. Right. Right. Conversations have moved into the realm of argument. You're right. Right. Okay. So what goes wrong in conversation? And I guess, why aren't we having good conversations? We're filming this podcast. I don't know when it's going to hit, but we're filming right before Thanksgiving, like the holidays. Right, right. So we're going to have lots of opportunities to engage people in conversation, um, maybe as we gather together a little bit more frequently than normal. So like, what go? what is going wrong in conversation? Well, there are two areas you can think about, about what's going wrong in conversation. The first is really what I base my research on, and it's the mindsets that you need in order to have a loving connection. So even if you have all their great questions to ask and you think you're a great conversationalist, what falls apart is if you don't have these four mindsets that you really need first, if you're going to have a good conversation. And the mindsets are being curious about people, meaning ask really good questions about their life. The second is believing the best about them. So it can go wrong in conversation if people know that you're already judging them. So for example, around the holiday table or what I tell my students, you know, when we meet someone, instead of believing the best about them and regarding them in a positive way, we're more likely to think, okay, who did you vote for? What's your stance on Roe v. Wade? What did you believe about vaccines? And instead of just believing that people are of infinite value, that they have something to teach you, that there's a story behind why they believe what they believe. And then learning how to express concern, carrying one another's burdens, investing in what is troubling them. We're bad at that. And the last mindset is how to share your life well with people, being vulnerable enough to share your life. So once you get those mindsets down, the other thing, that, that is the first thing we need to get right. And most people are deficient in one of those areas. So as if you're like evaluating yourself, you might say, oh yeah, I'm terrible. I'm never curious about other people. <laughs> I'm just selfish. So once you get those down, the second thing I realized is kind of the goal of conversation. And the, re- the social science research, as well as what I love that I read in the Bible, talks about kind of where conversation should end. Conversation should end in one of three areas to have a warm and loving connection. You want to eat, always be thinking, how can I encourage this person? How can I help them in their personal goals? And then what was most exciting about the research is this, how can I help someone marvel or be in a state of awe? So the holiday table, we're more likely to be like, how can I win this argument? How can I mock this person? How can I make them feel bad? That's different from how can I encourage this person? How can I help them in their goals? How can I lead us to a state of marvel or worship? And then besides that, um, there's a chapter in my book on having better conversations about the 10 pitfalls. The number one thing people don't like is advice giving. So that's, so don't give advice. No advice. I'm taking notes, Heather. I'm taking notes right now, you know. It's going to change. Yes. It will change everything when you're thinking, okay, this person's talking to me. I want to be an encourager. I want to help them in their goals. And I want to help them marvel and love, you know, it's beautiful. Lindsay, you're going to have more friends and you know what to do with if you start doing these things. Well, that's exciting because I live in a new place. I haven't been here long in Pennsylvania. And I will say being in a completely new place, 
completely different culture. I grew up in the South. Um, I went to school in the South. The Northeast is a little different. And, you know, finding connection, I think, especially as an adult can be, um, you know, it can be intimidating for some. And I think maybe, and I've had to challenge myself to get out there and to be a little bit vulnerable, share my life experiences in order to find connection with people. But when I've done that, you know, um, a lot of people are looking for genuine connection. And I've been able to find that in a relatively short period of time here. But it does, like you say, um, you do have to share your life so that you have something to maybe relate or be transparent on to connect you with someone else. That's right. It's really interesting that you said you were raised in the South because guess what I learned? By the way, what, where did you grow up? What what state? Well, I grew up in Florida, but my family is from South Alabama. Like my parents were raised there. Um, well, yes. okay. I have to ask you, guess what I discovered in my research and as I'm kind of traveling around doing workshops on how to have better conversations, did you know that in the South, part of etiquette training was it is rude to ask people personal questions. Were you raised like that? A lot of women in the South, in the South yeah. are taught that it's rude or nosy. And so they'll, they're much more likely to gossip about other people to get information than they are to ask the person directly. And when I was, I was recently in North Carolina and the women were laughing so hard because they were like, that's a hundred percent true. I will gossip about you before I ask you. Right, because and you we, wouldn't want to put somebody on the spot really yes. if you didn't know them well, for right. sure. I find here, um, maybe in the Northeast, they're a little bit more direct, so it might catch you off guard, but they really are asking sometimes like a very direct question. And so um, it can, those those cultural um, assumptions, I guess, can be limiting as well. Right. And in New England, New Englanders often say, sometimes it's rude to ask questions, so we'll share stories about our life, but nobody's going to ask us a really meaningful question question rooted in interpersonal curiosity. So the the main part of the book is really giving people permission to ask great questions in like every category of what it means to be human. That's why I called my book The Six Conversations because it's six pathways of how you can begin a loving conversation and never get lost in a conversation again. What a great skill set. I mean, I want my kids to read the book yes. because I have two teenagers who um, are very proficient in cell phone usage, but, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that my son does share is, uh, his dad speaks at medical conferences and he said, I really learned how to talk to people and making the small talk. Cause he's pretty good to be, um, a 16 year old boy mm-hmm. at talking to people. But he said, I kind of learned from like watching my dad and having to model talking, but there's not a lot of opportunities There are opportunities. They don't take them. Maybe that's a better way of saying it um, to have kind of that connection where you can talk to people older or even peers in an authentic way that's outside of technology. No, that's right. In fact, I love talking to teenagers and little children about conversation skills. So my two little neighbors, they (laughs) they were coming to town and starting school. Um, they had been away for a year and they were so nervous about like the lunch table. So imagine little girls, elementary school. Okay. And they were like, you know, how to, what do we do at the lunch table? Because they, they know I'm writing this book on conversation. I'm like this conversation expert. So I was telling them, we were sitting in the front yard, you know, lounging on the grass. And I said, okay, guess what people like to talk about? I said, 
people love the social category of conversation. So when you're meeting someone, ask them about their friends. Who do they love to hang out with? They also love to talk about their animal friends. Like, did you get a pet? Do you want a pet? And they were, they were just like giggling. They love talking about animals. And then I said, the other thing is don't forget the physical category, meaning our bodies and then our five senses. And I said, one of the things young people love to talk about is music. They're like, oh yeah, we love music. You know, they, so you can train. And I gave them three questions to ask at the lunch table and they got so excited. They were like, okay, I'm going to ask my friend this. And I said, you know, you're going to feel connected. People are going to want to spend time with you. You know, my oldest daughter is 17. She goes to school with 2000 people and she says, nobody asks her anything about her life because we have lost that skill. So I was like, okay, go to the lunchroom tomorrow and ask a question that in one of the categories. So one of the categories is the cognitive. So if you think about six pathways, you can ask social questions, physical questions, emotional, cognitive, meaning what people are thinking about, volitional choices they're making, and spiritual, which is my favorite category. But I said, you can ask your friends like, hey, what have you been thinking about? Like what thought keeps you up at night? And my daughter was telling me that teens love to talk about their hair care and skincare rituals and like clothing. So my daughter said, it's so cool to say to someone, I really love your hair. How did you get it that way? They, yeah. I was like, I'm asking everyone this. So yes. <laughs> there's all sorts of ways you can train teens and you're really teaching them to listen to what people like to talk about. So it's perfect for young people to read a book like this or to, or to discuss it as a family. Oh, that's great. I feel like we should break down little nuggets and discuss them at the table, you know, over our mealtime. So thanks for sharing that. 15, I have 15 and 18, just turned 18. So I'm going to share the uh, hair care uh, Yes. Is the 18-year-old in college? So she will. She just turned 18. So she actually did a visit to Penn State. <gasps> did she, she apply, does, did she you apply into the general, like, or did she apply into a major or is she just applying general admission? You know, you know, I don't know what she did. She okay. wants to be in medicine. So I don't know what Okay. Because sometimes when you have to declare a major, you have to like apply into that program. Okay. My daughter applied to Penn State. How adorable would that be if our girls met? And that's so fun. That would so, be a lot of fun. Yep. A lot of fun. So speaking of, you kind of shared that the little girls were nervous. Um, and I think adults are nervous about conversation. We're having a gathering, <laughs> a kind of a Friendsgiving gathering this weekend. And we invited people from very different areas of our life, not just one group of friends in order to mix and have kind of a unique event. But I'm sure people are coming that are feeling a little self-conscious or fearful about engaging. It's better to just come with a person. So what would you, what advice would I give, or even to my teens as, as they go into different places that they might feel a little anxious or fearful? What, what would you say? Just kind of what you shared with your lunch, lunch. Yeah. My best advice is to just keep asking questions in all the categories of what it means to be human and notice what people want to talk about. One thing I'm having a lot of success in with both adults and young people is asking about their physical spaces. So one thing is, hey, people love their houses. You can say, has anyone... Is anyone working on any home improvement projects or tell me about your garden? People love to talk about their houses and their spaces and young people love it. If you say, okay, tell me, do you have anything new in your bedroom this year? Or did you do anything new with your dorm? 
they will go on and on. They will show you pictures. They will talk about this. So I love just trying things out. I also find that some people actually do love to talk about the cognitive category. Like, tell me some things you've been thinking about lately. Like, what's on your mind? What thought keeps you up at night? Sometimes when I ask students that question, I learn so much about okay. that. And then Another great question that my college students love is when we joke about procrastination. So I asked them the other day, I was like, look, ever since COVID, I'm just such a procrastinator. What is your favorite way to procrastinate? And here's an example, Lindsay. One of my students said, well, I stress bake and I'm obsessed with baking <laughs> banana bread, to which the whole class was like, why aren't we receiving yes, this banana we would love bread? To be, we yeah. would love to be recipients. Right. And so you ask that question. Now, what I love about the book, what I learned is once you ask that first question and she said banana bread, I have six pathways of conversation. I could say to my student, let's call her Stacy. Okay, Stacy, that's awesome. Do you bake your banana bread with anyone else? That's the social category. Tell me who else stress bakes yeah. with you. I could ask the emotional category. I'm like, look, what when you stress bake, you got to tell me what that does to you emotionally or how you know it's time to start baking that banana bread. Like, what does it feel like for you What's to be the overwhelmed? for you? Yeah. yeah. Number three, the physical. You could ask about that recipe. You could ask about like, okay, tell me or cognitive. Why did you or actually volitional would be how did you choose that recipe? Why banana bread? Yeah. You may get a great conversation about the history of banana bread in her family. And before right. you know it, her you great grandmother's recipe is, yeah. you know, some secret ingredient. Yeah. So you're never going to get lost. And what I found out, of course, is the music that she listens to which is a physical question, like think about the five senses. What do you listen to? Which led to an enormous conversation about Taylor Swift, but they don't want to talk about it because Ticketmaster did let people down with yes. the tickets. So yeah, um, you'll never get lost again. And again, don't forget the three ways you can end a conversation. Encouragement, helping people with their goals, or marveling. So even if you're talking about home renovation, people may have areas they need support or help. And before you know it, you're, you know, exchanging names of landscapers or contractors, right. and then you're feeling warmly connected to your neighbor. Oh, I love that. Speak of, I mean, we're believers. We, the Center of Faith and Innovation, which the Integrate podcast, this lives um, within Wheaton's College and Center for Faith and Innovation. You know, we're, we say we are at the crossroads of faith, where faith and work intersect conversations are part of faith and part of work. I mean, you can't go to work really. Um, I mean, I'll, and not have conversations. We deal with people. So as a Christian, and you shared a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, earlier, one of your favorite things to talk about and weave in is spiritual, is the spiritual pathway. Right. How, how do we do that? I mean, there's principles in what you're sharing where you can see um, biblical biblical things woven in here, right? I mean, it's really not our motives or I'm not asking because it's all about me. I'm really looking to serve that person, right? To, to show love and kindness and compassion um, and getting to know them and ask questions and be curious about them, which is kind of a not about me, a more about you type of ad attitude. But as a Christian, how do we have intentional Christ-centered conversations with people from all walks of life? 
Well, this is what I love. Now, originally, even though I was so concerned about the loneliness epidemic, another motivation for this book was my passion for evangelism and people who really do want to talk about Jesus, but they don't know how to get in those conversations. And so what I've discovered is that when you're living out of the four mindsets, okay, so imagine you're which are very biblical. They come out of Philippians 2 and Romans 12 and Galatians 6. If like your listeners are taking notes, think about Philippians 2 means value other people above yourselves, take on their interests, Mm -hmm. honor one another. Um, Think about, you know, Paul is saying in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you, you know, love your enemies. And then think about how Galatians talks about carrying one another's burdens. Well, what I discovered is when I'm doing that, and asking loving questions and encouraging and helping people. When it's my turn to talk, it never feels like a sales pitch or an awkward transition because people will be like, what about you, Heather? What has been on your mind? So just this week, I told two professors, one who's an atheist, I was like, you know what's been on my mind? What's been on my mind is this idea that we're living in exile here. Like this isn't actually our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I've been reading Jeremiah and this word of the Lord. Literally, I'm just talking like this with my atheist professor. She loved it. She was like, okay, that's amazing. So what are you supposed to do? What does God say to do when you're in exile? I was like, well, pray for the peace of the city. Pray that God blesses the city that comes out of Jeremiah 29. Now, it wasn't awkward. She didn't feel like I was, you know, forcing her to talk about Jesus. What it is, is you're naturally sharing your life. Mm-hmm. People are going to ask questions. Most of the evangelism opportunities I have where people have prayed to receive Christ have come out of that. And and you can be really honest, like with my Hindu neighbor, we, I was just sharing with her things I was learning in the Bible that day, because again, we're professors. So we talk about the cognitive a lot and I'll never forget. I turned to her and I just said, does it bother you that I talk so much about Jesus? And she was like, no, I want to hear everything you have to say about him. Mm. Now, Lindsay, it was because of the four mindsets, the three fresh goals. I'm asking her good questions. And then when I shared about Jesus, she became so curious and it was such a safe space for her that she ended up praying to receive Christ and led her family to the Lord. And now she has a great ministry but, you know, we, you just have to, you have a warm connection. So there was even a day when she said, can we still be best friends if you follow Jesus and I'm a Hindu? Can we still be friends? That warm connection was so strong that it didn't ever feel like tricky or like that I was, you know, trying to do this presentation for her. So that's my passion for the six conversations that if you are a Christian and you want to live this sent life where you're able to go and seek and save the lost. When you engage in these very biblical ways of connecting with other people, Jesus is going to naturally enter into that conversation. And you're going to have so many beautiful conversations that lead to talking about Jesus. I love it. And just sharing your natural life, you have built such um, a relationship with her that was safe, like you said, um, that when you started talking about something that was personal to you, it wasn't offensive to her. But right. I love how you asked, like, does it make you uncomfortable? Because then it it kind of makes them describe how they're feeling when you talk about it again. Right, right. So, and the spiritual category, that's just a pathway that everyone knows I love talking about. Mm-hmm. And so your friends will realize, they'll listen, they'll know what you value. And so it's pretty clear that whenever I'm with people, we're going to end up talking about Jesus, but that warm connection is there. 
And, you know, my atheist professor friends, they'll be like, Heather, we know you keep that prayer journal. You know, I'm an atheist. Put me in the prayer journal today. <laughs> like it just becomes delightful. And um, you're going to find that you're talking about Jesus so easily. And the wonderful thing is it's not just about them. You're going to feel so happy and connected. All the research shows that when you have these warm connections, you're actually investing in your mental health. So even though it's so good for you spiritually, you're actually making yourself happier and you're helping your immune system when you have these warm, connected conversations. I can't wait to tell my teenagers all about it. Yes, <laughs> you're going to love it. Immune health. We need that <laughs> headed into basketball season up here in the winter. So, Oh, you have to. Oh, and I have to tell you, Lindsay, for your 18-year-old, like what my I was, you know, positioning my students for like the job market internships yes. and all these things. And one of my students got one of the top internships in her field. Wow. It was so competitive, right? She came to my office. I was like, you got to tell me what happened. What, what <laughs> questions did they ask? How did it go? And then afterwards I said, why do you think they chose you? And guess what she said? She said, well, instead of talking about myself, I decided to ask them really good questions and we were laughing. They felt connected to me. I said, exactly. You created a bond with them. They're not going to reject you. They, you had a warm connection with them and they're thinking, I want this girl on my team. So the professional skill of being able to bond with people immediately with the warm and loving connection, it's like a game changer for people who want to grow professionally. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of people, um, I worked in a medical device company before I moved here and you know, I worked with a lot of engineers and then a lot of salespeople. I was in product management in the middle of, of that group. Um, and I, I feel like some of the engineers were so fascinating and interesting. I loved really working with this one guy named Adam, but we had great connection on questions and hobbies. He was very different than I was. Um, but it was it was great to find things that he really, he loved to do woodworking. Um, but a lot of engineers, I felt like limited themselves on what they were willing. They just wanted to fall into a traditional role of like, oh, we're not sociable, but yet they had so much to share and add to conversations that were fascinating. And yet I felt like they just kind of stayed in their stereotypical roles and just didn't really connect. But when they did, they had such valuable things to share and interesting things that were challenging to me. So I don't know. That's one thing I see commonly in the workplace is that accountants, engineers, different different job titles kind of assign themselves these social roles that I don't know. Exactly. And what they need to do is read the research on creativity and what happens to your brain when you're warmly connected. Those engineers made them the ones who shared with you, they're making themselves more creative. Their brain is in a responsive state rather than a reactive state. There's a lot of research right now on when you're like in the four mindsets and you're, you're warmly connected with someone, you're actually making their brain work better. So I'm all, I, te I taught technical writing last semester to all these computer engineers, architectural engineers, you know, computer programmers. And at first they were like, uh, we don't want to do this. We don't want to like ask these questions and talk to each other. We're introverts. And I was like, listen, I am saving your professional life right now. And I bet you tonight you're going to do better on that quiz because we've had this conversation and you feel warmly connected and your brain is working better right now. So they just laughed about it. But I think that's true. Like you can still be introverted, but still have meaningful connections. You can still be extroverted and not have 
great conversations at all. You could be, you know, so busy going around the room that you really don't connect with anyone. So right. I think it's just because we feel like, oh, we're wired this way. We can all work to refining our conversations, having meaningful connections and kind of working on these pathways that you shared. Yes. And my husband is an introvert. And so he loved, it was actually his idea, the six pathways, because as an introvert, it's not natural for him to approach people and know what to say. He's also shy and he doesn't think well on his feet. And so we have the best time with the six pathways because he gets in the most loving, fruitful conversations. Cause in his mind, he has six categories of where to go. So if he sees a friend, he also has a woodworking friend, but the friend bought a boat and Ash knew he could say, okay, how, how did you decide to buy that boat? You know, tell me the story about that boat. And instead of that awkward silence, he had six categories of where he could go next to have a warm and loving connection. And he, it's just great for people who maybe do feel like I've never been trained how to do this. And I'm really bad at it. The one thing about introverts is they tend to be really good listeners so that he's really good at listening. And so if you're listening and you're an introvert, don't worry, you bring skills to the table that extroverts tend to be deficient in. Okay. I'm going to change the conversation a little bit. We all, especially in business, have a difficult person that is hard to communicate. Maybe we're intimidated by them. It could be a boss, a senior VP, and we're kind of in the position of trying to do what they want, but they're, you know, some people are just prickly Um, or it could be your mother-in-law. It could be, you know, your boss, your neighbor who doesn't like you. What, what did, what practical advice could you give someone that finds themselves and they can't get out of relationship with that person? Right. So we're kind of stuck in it. So how would you say, how do you handle like the difficult person that you still have to have relationship with? Well, one thing I'm learning is to really pay attention to my colleagues and notice what pathway they enjoy talking about. And then I just keep trying. So for example, I, and of course I have to like protect privacy here. So I'll like fictionalize this a little bit, but I had a supervisor who it it was kind of a high stakes, uh, a high stakes professional relationship, but again, very hard to connect with this person. So I just went down the six pathways, Lindsay. I was like, look, this, we are not connecting. This doesn't feel good. And I remembered, I decided to ask a physical question. I said, hey, you know, it's good to see you. I heard that you live out, you know, in this area that has a lot of land. I said, are you someone who's a gardener? He talked for 20 minutes about his heirloom, you know, plants, his tomatoes, his plum orchard. We felt so warmly connected by the end because I shared too about my garden that he was like, would you and your husband ever want to come out and see right. our how? I mean, this is someone that was prickly before. Yes. The other thing is um, if you have a colleague that loves their personal appearance, so they always look great. They have a great um, outfit. They're always looking great. One thing I love is co- giving a compliment and then asking them for the story behind how they found a certain um you know, piece of clothing, because people actually do like to talk about the physical. Um, Sometimes if it's, if I'm seeing someone in the hallway and they say, how are you doing? I'll say, you know what? I'm okay, but I did not get a good night's sleep last night. Sleep is really hard for me. I'll say, do you have any strategies about like how you sleep? People love to talk about their sleep rituals, Lindsay. I know more about melatonin and lavender and like what people do to go to bed. So the other thing is always remember, it is not your job 
to win or or be in an argument in conversation. So with colleagues, the goal is a warm connection and you're always thinking, how can I be helpful? How can I encourage this person? So my best advice is to believe the best, keep asking good questions, share your life. It's going to happen. You're, you're going to figure out the pathway that they like to talk about. And, you know, they'll sense that kind of love and concern for them. And you're going to find a lot of just encouragement as you see, as you try these things out and you find, and you see some warm connections. I love that advice because we all have someone in our life that conversation doesn't come easy. Connection is challenging, but yet, you know, we know that God has placed them in our sphere of influence for a purpose and a reason. And so I love just keep going, keep sharing, keep showing up for that person. Um, So that's, that's such practical and helpful advice. Uh, We could talk all day. I mean, conversation, this is really fun. And I hope we can do maybe a follow-up interview um, at another point, or maybe pick one of your other, I think, eight books that you've written to talk about. Yes, that's right. That's right. As we close, anything else that you'd want to share with our listeners um, about your latest book? Well, the one, my, my most exciting thing I learned in all of my research, the best thing I learned was how to listen. And nobody ever taught me what to listen for. So when you are listening to someone, you are listening for core values. You're listening for, okay, what does this person care about? And then you're going to say it back to them. So when I met with a brand new colleague who I was trying to be friends with, I said, you know, tell me how your work is going. And I noticed that she kept talking about times that she turned in work where she didn't feel like she could do her best. And I said to her, it sounds like you value excellence. Mm -hmm. And she said, I do. I really do. And that warm connection came. So listen, your conversation partner may value efficiency, adventure, you know, altruism, whatever it is. Notice, say it back to them. You're going to get that warm connection. I love it. Thank you so much, Heather, for sharing. You're welcome. And so for those of you who might be jumping into the podcast today, I was talking with Heather, um, Dr. Heather Holman on the six conversations, your latest book, and where can people find it, Heather? Well, you can always go to Amazon or Moody Publishers, but on my website, heatherholloman.com, if you click on books and then click on the six conversations, there's actually some free resources for you. You can download the excerpt of the introduction in chapter one. There is my list of 100 favorite questions that I love to ask people. And there's also a little handout about how to not get stuck in conversation. So you can find that all at heatherholloman.com. Awesome, Heather. Do you think people, my guests for my party this week will find it uh, kind of funny if I send them your 100 questions and the helpful hints before they arrive? Yeah, do it. Be like, actually, Lindsay, that's not even a bad idea. I love to tell people I'm trying to grow in the art of conversation. Let's try this together. I love that. Tell your party guests like, hey, I just interviewed someone on having better conversations. I would love to figure out how to have warm connections with you. You could even say, what question do you like people to ask you about your life? I do that with my students on the first week of class. What question are you hoping I'll ask you? Well, I will give you some follow-up as as we go through the holidays and, and navigate just a lot of opportunities to connect in these seasons. But thank you so much for your time. This was a blast, and I hope that um, we can do it again sometime soon. Great. Thank you. I've loved it. Thank you for having me on your program. This was such an honor. Thanks, Heather.